Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hello and welcome to Extra Time, a web-only program from RNZ Sport. I'm Stephen Hewson. In the program this week, it's winner takes all in the Kiwis England Rugby League Test Match in Wigan, but is anyone interested? We ask Nick Willis, should Russian athletes be banned from the Rio Olympics? Do the FFA actually want the Phoenix in the A-League? Ultimate fighter Mark Hunt discusses his life and times. New Zealand sailors Peter Burling and Blair Tuke are on top of the world again. Hayden Patton rallies one more time. The New Zealand Rugby League team's tour of England reaches its climax this weekend with the winner-takes-all final test of the three-match series. Usually the do-or-die test in Northern England, the birthplace of rugby league between the world number one Kiwis and the third-ranked hosts, would be a must-watch for sports fans in New Zealand. But the tour's been marked by a distinct lack of interest from the media and the public back home. Joe Porter reports. The timing of the Kiwis tour is the biggest problem. They played their first match against Leeds the day before the All Blacks World Cup semi-final against the Springboks, while the Kiwis' first test against England was a day after the World Cup final. The former Kiwis coach Graham Lowe agrees the Rugby World Cup hangover has taken its toll. The Rugby World Cup was such a fantastic event. The All Blacks uh, not only played well, you know, we've probably never seen better ambassadors for the country. But I don't think we could have copped much more of the saturation coverage we were getting. People are thinking about the beach now, and there's a lot of people that are probably over it all a little bit. And unfortunately for Rugby League, the over it includes the Rugby League. The Kiwis co-captain Isaac Luke concurs and says they don't feel slighted. It's hard to turn away from a great team that's been able to put New Zealand on the map and all the accolades that they have grabbed. New Zealand is a rugby nation and, and we're here to try and turn a lot ahead. Obviously we want to try and walk away with, with this series so maybe we just focused on our game. At odds with Luke and Lowe is the head of New Zealand Rugby League, Phil Holden, who believes interest in the tour and the Kiwis is higher than ever before. The support for the team is only growing because they're delivering the results on the field. And I'd have to say that when you look at that team and you know the young talent that's coming through, you know we're on the cusp of uh, 
quite a generational shift in terms of the dominance of the game worldwide. The apathy towards the tour back home is in direct contrast to the interest in England, where the first two tests in Hull and at London's Olympic Stadium were almost sold out. Sunday's series decider sold out well before the second match was even played. The New Zealand co-captain Luke joked that's because the English are desperate for someone to support following their pool stage exit from the Rugby World Cup. Lowe believes there's a different reason behind the English interest in Sunday's test in Wigan. Wigan's the biggest rugby league club in the world. You know, the, the fans of, of Wigan are, are something special and um, they know the desperate situation that, that rugby league in, in um, England is and really the, the onus is on the, the English side to win this game to just restore credibility. The Kiwis coach Stephen Kearney knows what victory would mean to England after New Zealand knocked them out of the 2013 League World Cup and he's expecting a fairly hostile reception from the partisan crowd. The crowd is closer to the ground at Wigan and, and um, you know, I know 26,000, I'm, I'm, I'm picking there'll be 25,800 will be screaming for England. Kearney doesn't mind that and he also doesn't mind the Kiwis playing in the shadow of the Rugby World Cup. He says they're focused on emulating the All Blacks winning feat. They get the chance on Sunday morning to do just that. That was Joe Porter with that report. New Zealand's leading runner Nick Willis has mixed feelings about banning Russian athletes from the Rio Olympics, but believes it could be the only way forward for the sport. A World Anti-Doping Agency investigation has found widespread doping in Russian athletics, supported by the government, and it's called on athletics world governing body, the IAAF, to suspend Russia. Willis says an Olympic ban might be hard on some Russian athletes who are clean, but if the doping programme is so ingrained, it may be the only way. We have a, a close Russian connection in New Zealand in track and field and this person has been um, explaining how the system works over there to me. Um, she told me this first in 2004, so my understanding is that from the as soon as they show any signs of talent, then they're basically told this is how it's done and they have to follow lines. So at the same time, the athletes are the perpetrators, but they're not the ones who instigate this process. Banning Russian athletes from, from Rio, that would be the best message to send, would it? Yeah, it's a tough one because from the outside looking in, it's like, well, that's not really fair. What if there is a handful of um, of legitimate or genuine athletes there and then they're being punished for the, the sins of the rest? But um, if it is so systematic and so widespread, perhaps there aren't any that have had a chance to really develop and um, even if they become compliant in the next several months, then perhaps Russia could be given the green light again. The, these same athletes so supposedly are under a cleaner structure, but they've been um, receiving the assistance of doping all of these years, and you don't just turn off the switch and stop receiving the benefits of that. It must be yet again more frustrating for yourself. I mean, you know you're competing against athletes and against a system that is so corrupt. I mean, what what does that do for you, I suppose, A, as an athlete, but B, about your your thoughts on, on sport and uh, in itself? Yeah, it's twofold. It's The frustrations have, by and large, already taken place, and so now these become exciting times as someone who's had uh, an inkling to the level of um, problems in our sport, and so it's finally here, it's being brought to light, and so we can now air our grievances without risking defamation suits or, or the likes. Um, but at the same time, I, I wasn't actually fully aware of the level of corruption from administration. You always thought it was from coaches or from managers or for athletes, 
who are trying to manipulate the system and now we hear that the 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 governing bodies or the powers that be are the ones complicit in this. What does it do though for you as someone who's dedicated so much of their life to, to athletics? Well I guess that's what we're going to have to wait and see is the res- response from Seb Cohen from the IWF and let's see whether he genuinely wants to clean it up or whether he's just trying to keep the status quo so to speak and um handle this media onslaught as best as possible and then keep going or whether he's going to try and break it down and build it up again and that's what I'm waiting to see. I don't know what the answers are, but um, I, I see this as an opportunity for a new start and that would give me something to look forward to. For Look, I'm not going to be around much longer. I've got several years left in my career, but it's you want to leave the sport better than how you joined it, I suppose. What does it make you think, though, about what might have been? I mean, obviously you, you finished third in, in Beijing but ended up with the, the silver medal. There must be other races that you sit there and go, only what if? Yes and no. Um, I've received certain information over the years about particular results that might have been different. But to be honest, I've um, I've received far more than I could have dreamed prior to entering into this and top echelon of the sport, um, both in terms of rewards and um, financial security and all that sort of stuff. So I'm pretty well taken care of. Perhaps I've been protected from some of the, the stresses that... Um, that would come along with sort of the the uber success that some of the top elites have to face. I feel for Dan Carter and Richie McCaw, how they're going to be able to get around New Zealand now. They were famous enough as it is, but they're sort of it's going to be hard for them to really just relax and enjoy a casual life. And that's something that I've always been able to um, do it in my life back home in New Zealand. So yeah, there's there's a give and take with both. I was talking to athlete Nick Willis. Despite impressions to the contrary, Australian football does want the Wellington Phoenix in the A-League competition, says club owner Rob Morrison. The future of the club's in doubt after Football Federation Australia only offered it a four-year competition licence extension, as opposed to the ten-year one the club was after. The FFA has expressed concern over low crowd attendances, broadcasting revenues and a lack of support from club stakeholders. That's left the impression the FFA wants to cut the Phoenix adrift, but after meeting with Australian officials earlier this week, Rob Morrison's confident that's not the case and there is a desire to negotiate a new licence. They do appreciate the fact that um, the competition that's going to expand needs stable teams. They recognise that we are one of the better governed clubs uh, in the competition. We, we certainly are one of the financially more stable clubs in the competition. And if a long-term aim is to expand the A-League, which it is, then you need to do that off the back of stable foundations and they recognise that, that, that we are a valuable part of that. So have they given you hard and fast numbers on what they want for the likes of club membership or, or broadcast dollars that you, you're going to bring in? Yeah, that was certainly part of the discussion and, and our view very much is that, is that some of those metrics are, are much more about club financials than they are about the competition. So it's not about hard numbers for the clubs. Every club wants more members. Every club wants more people turning up to see the games. That, that's, that's, that's for real. And it's unrealistic to try and set targets for clubs. Each club has to do it in its own way. But that, that's much more of, a, of an individual club responsibility rather than an overall league responsibility. 
So is it now up to you to go back to the FFA or vice versa on, on where things might move? Because obviously you're still trying to sort out the licence from, from next season onwards. Both sides recognise that we need to do that as quickly as possible, um, but it's not a matter of doing any deal. Uh, we have to do a deal that's going to work for the FFA and we have to do a deal that's going to work for us. So are you somewhat more hopeful now than you might previously have been? How do you know I wasn't hopeful? Well, four years certainly didn't seem a hopeful outcome when 10 years was the, the goal. Look, you know, negotiations are negotiations, and, um, and, and we are, we're in the middle of one, um, and I think that both sides are actually positive about trying to achieve something that's going to work. And for it to work for you, though, presumably you've got a bottom line where you're going to say that, no, we're going to walk away from this. We do have bottom lines. That very much is that we want to do a deal, but it has to be the right deal. We won't do any deal. No one wants to end up doing a deal where you end up in a situation that you don't want. Would four years be a deal that you could work with if there were other parts around that? Or, or is four years something that you just couldn't accept? Pretty much as you said, you would need more than that. So there would have to be other pieces to it. Uh, if, if it was built around a four-year deal. And the four years is, is pretty much because that's where our um, on, on our current uh, agreement we have that four-year extension sitting there. So there's been a lot of discussion around that, but that doesn't necessarily need, need to frame um, the negotiations in terms of going forward. That is, that is one option that sits there. Um, but from our point of view, um, that in isolation would not be enough. Much, too, has been talked about other stakeholders. I mean, New Zealand mm -hmm. Football's put out a, a statement, again, reiterating their, their support, saying that they offer financial and organisational commitment. That's obviously not been enough from, from both the FFA's perspective and, and your perspective. I mean, that relationship is still sticky somewhat. What more do you want to see from New Zealand football? If you look at it from uh, the FFA's point of view, they look at it and they say, OK, this is enormously beneficial to... New Zealand football, you have a professional team playing in our competition. You're playing across conferences into our competition. So that's not a freebie. We're a little in the middle of this in that, in that um, you know, from a Phoenix point of view, we, we have to do what is right uh, in terms of the stakeholders directly involved with the Phoenix. But we're also extremely aware of the fact that New Zealand football is a, a huge beneficiary of, of, of what the Phoenix is doing and a huge beneficiary of the fact that, that millions of dollars of private money have, have gone into this investment and that's, and that's benefited New Zealand football. So if we said tomorrow that the Phoenix wasn't there, what impact would that have on New Zealand football? And in our view, that would be, a, that would be extremely negative. Um, you'd have no professional football in the country. Uh, you'd remove um, any sort of pathway in terms of the young players outside of heading off to Europe. The young players have in terms of progressing through academies, playing um, uh, really regular football, 30, 40 games a year, progressing all the way through to professional football, and then ultimately if they've got enough into the all-whites, and that, and, and that is now the program. So you remove all that, plus the funding associated with it, that's a big backward step. So if you're New Zealand football, it's like, what do we need to do to ensure this happens? Now, we're not saying it's all about cash. We're saying it is about thinking outside the square a bit and going, are there programs that we could possibly merge? Is there duplication? Are there ways of actually um, uh, running the game uh, um, more efficiently so that everybody's, everybody's going to benefit? And I think 
we need more of that. And I think Australian football looks at it and says, actually, we would like to see more initiatives coming out of out of New Zealand football that recognise that you have a team playing in our competition and you are a beneficiary of that. I mean, you're obviously talking duplication of academies, etc. there, but is that awareness or that feeling there from New Zealand football to make that happen? Because that still, again, is the impression that, that comes that, that, that it isn't. Well, you have to ask them that, wouldn't you? Um, well, although you've been uh, meeting but, with them and obviously trying to get 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 sort of negotiations with them moving in that the similar mm. direction too. Well, I haven't met with them actually. Um, um, and is that that's something that presumably needs to be done? Does it? Yeah, I, I think that, um, that we, we haven't within football quite worked out how it is. That the professional structure fits within the game in New Zealand. There's still too much of them and us as opposed to actually we're all beneficiaries. So I think that needs to change. Uh, there's definitely been progress in that area, but uh, there's still a lot of work to be done. I was talking to Rob Morrison, the chair of the Wellnicks Group, which owns the Wellington Phoenix. Born to a Mormon Samoan family in South Auckland, Mark Hunt and his brothers were regularly beaten and his sister repeatedly raped by their abusive father. As a teen, he was heading for a life of crime, stealing and intimidating others with violence. He was picked out of a street brawl by someone who recognised his talents as a fighter and began training as a kickboxer, which has changed his life. He won a world title in 2001 and went on to become a UFC or Ultimate Fighting Championship fighter. Earlier this week, he spoke to Nine to Noon's Catherine Ryan. Mixed martial arts is a hybrid sport. You know, you've got striking plus the ground stuff. That's why they call it the ultimate in fighting, because you've got not only just stand-up striking skills, but you've got also ground and wrestling skills as well. So it's um, it's pretty much like uh, playing chess as a fighter. Chess. <laughs> playing chess, but with some physical uh, yeah. extremities. What What yeah. is allowed, what isn't allowed when it comes to the way you fight? There's a lot allowed. Well, there's a lot more rules in mixed martial arts than people think, but I think not uh, the genital areas and biting and that sort of jazz is not allowed. You know, eye gouging, <laughs> you know, using sticks and mortars and guns and all that sort of jazz. No, it's, it's pretty much just no, you know, the normal stuff without... Uh, it's everything, you no. You, you can strike, you can use legs, feet, well, elbows, yeah, a, fists, knees. It's a hybrid sport, so yeah. Mm. To some people's, out, you know, to an outsider's eyes, it's it's like a brutal sport. It's almost sort of one one step up from bare knuckle fighting. What is the attraction, though? Why do you put yourself through, and others put yourself through this level of physical pain, injury, risk of long term injury? What is the attraction of the sport to fighters? Well, it's like um, you know, achieving a, a, a goal, wanting to be the best fighter on the on the planet is my goal, and. Um, and I've been uh, been blessed by God, especially as a fighter, to be to be at this level uh, for nearly 20 years. You know, I I didn't want to be a fighter, and I didn't even know I was going to be a fighter for my life. I was like hitting. Uh, I was in jail a couple of times, and I was probably going to go back there for a long time. But uh, you know, martial arts saved my life, uh, and and some of the choices I made with it. So it's um it's um people always say it's a it's a you know, aggressive and bad sport, and it, it's sort of like street fighting, but it's it's not even the same thing. It takes a, it's like a, <clears throat> you got to work every day in the gym, and it it takes you away from being an aggressive person in the public. You know, you're training every day, you, and you're losing that aggression towards others. So you know, I, I 
I actually think it's a totally different way people look at things. They've got to be more um, educated about mixed martial arts. It's, it's it's nowhere close to being as like people think it is, like with street thuggery and stuff. How did you begin in the sport? Tell our listeners about that. Again, this could be in a film, right? How were you discovered quite literally on 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 the street as as a fighter? How did that all unfold? Well, I was um, you know I was born in Auckland. And um, we were at um, a place called DTMs, DTMs, Don't Tell Mamas at the time, and um, I was street fighting. And um, yeah, the bouncer grabbed me in and, and, and said, you know, because the cops were out the front. So we were just, it was actually just a street altercation after something. And, um, you know, four days later, I was fighting in that same very club for my first time Muay Thai. So, you know, I, hadn't, I had no idea about um, fighting. The only time I saw kickboxing Muay Thai was... Um, yeah, when I was holding the bag for 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 one of the guys inside, so. <laughs> but um, it's it, uh, it's it's great that, like I said, it saved my life. The book is ruthlessly honest and and brutally exposing. And as a boy and as a man, I suspect you were a survivor of a hideous home environment. And I I'll, I'll just give the listeners some indication, if that's okay. Having read the book, you know, you were starved, literally starved as as children. Um, you know, sometimes the, your folks would be saving money by sort of having their takeaways in the car rather than feeding you. And and if we just go to, to, to some of the worst of it, the beatings towards you and, and, and your siblings, your brothers, started very young as infants. And as we mentioned, your sister, the, the dysfunction there came in the form of, of sexual abuse from a, from a young age. And it comes across as a kind of a, a depravity. You know, I don't want to put judgment on it, but but you certainly have. Um, and there was a lot of damage wrought out of that, wasn't there, on, on the brothers and on your sister, who's contributed to this book, I know, who's supported this book. There was a lot of damage, Mark. Yeah, well, look, I didn't really, I thought you know, it's just, it was normal for me. And like when I was asked by the publisher to, to write the story, I said like no three or four times, you know, and I was like, what does this woman want to keep, I don't want to air my dirty laundry out in the public. You know, I'm not like that. I'm I'm a private person, but... You know, what she got me with was, it wasn't about the money on it. She just said, look, Mark, um, you can help others with your story, you know, about depression and, and, and suicide or whatever. I said, oh, you know, when she said I could help others, you know, I said, oh, okay, of course. I've been given a, a platform already by God with the UFC. So, you know, I might as well just share my story. I, I didn't want to. And I wasn't comfortable sitting with Ben and talking with him about stuff until my my um your sister was okay with it, you know. So I just let him call her, and then that's where it started. So then after that, I was pretty open with the whole thing. Is not, um, you know, I thought it's all normal. I think a lot of families in New Zealand um, are going through a lot of rubbish like this. But um, it's not, it's not. Uh, as a kid growing up, I thought it was just normal. So, it's, as you say, this isn't one person's story. This is many people's story. Yeah. Um, and and what you are doing here is showing. And I'm sure this isn't easy, but showing that there is a way somehow out of this to shape a different life. There, there, there are great losses. Again, I won't go into detail, but but your two brothers both, you know, suffered mental illnesses out of this situation, and very tragically, in one case, you lost a brother. And yeah. and and your sister, I, I mean, my heart goes out to her, but and and it's evident she went through really hard times. Um, after escaping this childhood, but I'm left hoping she's doing okay out of reading this book. Yeah, she's doing good. Uh, you know, everyone's. They, they, I got a house in New Zealand, and they're staying in that house. So, Steve and Vicky, Vicky, okay, they're doing. Her and her family are doing good. Steve's still got schizophrenia and stuff, but um, you know, my older brother John, he, he passed uh, about a few months ago, 
even and um, killed himself, but he had no one to talk to. I don't think so. You know, that's where he went went off the way. He was kind of a hermit anyway. So, but um, yeah, I think um, I'm the pretty much the ones that me and my sister pretty much came out normal at the other side. But I did have a good wife to help me through my um times. I didn't really get to talk to her until later on in the career. I thought later on in my life actually, I thought it was um. I, 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 I thought it was normal, but I did have a lot of issues. I still have a lot of issues. UFC fighter Mark Hunt talking to Nine to Noon's Catherine Ryan. It's been a good week for New Zealand's top sailors, Peter Burling and Blair Tuke. They've warmed up for next week's 49er world champs in Buenos Aires with victory in the South American Championship. That took their regatta-winning streak to 21 since claiming the silver medal at the 2012 London Olympics. The pair were then named Male World Sailors of the Year. Alongside their Olympic campaign, Burling and Tuke have also been involved in Team New Zealand's America's Cup World Series. Barry Guy caught up with Burling and asked him just what he puts their successful run down to. Blair myself, you know, we were just really enjoying our yachting at the moment. We were just really fortunate to be able to do um, most days of the year what, what we really love. And I think that's something that we've been, you know, it makes it really easy for us to, to be motivated and to, to put in the hard work, work and to dig deep when uh, you know tough times during events and put some pieces like that. So now we're just uh, really enjoying uh, what we do and uh, really really looking forward to the, the next uh, few years. So you don't need motivation. Any no one sort of helps you out out there to you know it must be tough to stay at the top of your game. No, we've got a lot of people that help us out. You know whether it's um, you know catches in the, the Olympic side and um, you know people that help us out with the, the campaign and. Um, all the Team New Zealand guys that helped us as well, and uh, we're really thankful for, for all their help and, and everyone that's uh, supported us over the last kind of couple of years, and uh, we, we definitely know that we, we wouldn't be there uh, without a few people helping us. Does the Team New Zealand experience sort of help in some way, get having a little bit of a break? Yeah, I think it's something that when we signed up a couple of years ago, you know, we <clears throat> put in a lot of effort to, to make sure we we had a pretty good plan in place to, to balance out the both schedules, and uh, we, we believed uh, very strongly back then, you know, that if we, you know, that that could both complement each other uh, very well, and uh, that's something that, that we've been working really hard to to kind of make sure that they keep keep uh, supplementing each other well, and, and we don't get too uh, too burned out. But uh, we're really happy with how it's been going this year, and uh, we're looking to try and continue that. You've dominated the 49ers since London, really. The formula you have is obviously successful, and so um, you know. You can carry through for uh, one more year through until Rio, no problems. Yeah, well, that, that's obviously the goal, you know. Um, for us, the whole of uh, these four years, the goal's been uh, try and go and get that goal for New Zealand and Rio, and we're really happy with, with how we're tracking at the moment. But we know there's a, a lot of really good yachties um, right behind us, kind of tipping at our heels, you know, pushing uh, super hard to, to catch us. And uh, it's something that, for Bear and myself, we know we've got a lot of hard work ahead in the next. Uh, you know, eight months or so, uh, building up to the Rio, and uh, but we're really looking forward to that challenge, and uh, it's something that after then we're going to jump straight in the, the cup stuff and, and try and bring the, the America's Cup back to New Zealand as well. So I've got some pretty big goals over the next couple of years, so there's definitely uh, no shortage in uh, motivation there. And of course, you're in Buenos Aires, and this week you won the South American title and and I understand you know you didn't have a lot of preparation it was just sort of uh, jump straight back into the boat and it seemed to go quite smoothly I think um kind of how many times we jump back in and jump into other boats and every time we do that it, it makes life a little bit easier and you know, we get a little bit better at it and uh, for us you know we've done a few days training back in NZ but we've had a fair bit of time off since um 
we last held the 49er at the, the Olympic test event in Rio. And, <clears throat> no, we're really happy with where we where we jump back in at, and but we know we're uh, got a fair bit of work to do this week to to try and get ready for the world. What are the conditions like there? I understand it was reasonably light. Yeah, no, we had um, kind of really light breezes uh, all of last week, and no, that's something that you know for us um, being Kiwis is not doesn't really stay at kind of around that four knot mark. Uh, we're doing four and eight knots uh, most of the time, so it's something that the Kiwis uh, traditionally haven't been uh, that strong in. Uh, we're really happy with how we went uh, last week, and no, but we uh, yeah, it definitely could be a fair bit of light air going to come to Worlds in, in a week's time. But uh, for ourselves, you know, we, we've still got to do a bit of practice in the breeze uh, before then on the, on the new boat and, and make sure everything's good and make sure it's all dialed in. So does that put more emphasis on, you know, uh, your techniques and um, strategies and just sort of perfecting the little bits? Yeah, well, I think uh, sailing, you know, at the top level, everything's so, so finely tuned. And so, you know, that if you got a tiny bit off it in the early area, you, you get pretty showing up. And that's something for us, you know, you have to be you have to be pretty sharp on, on every area and the, the setup and technique and handling and tactics. And no, you can't you can't have a weakness at the moment. And but we're uh, really enjoying that challenge of, of trying to, you know, get better and stay ahead of the game. And the competition, uh, in, in a lot of sports, a world championship ahead, a, a year ahead of the Olympics is quite often the, the, the tough one. So you're expecting uh, that to be the case next week? Yeah, well, I think for us, you know, the last world championships uh, was an Olympic selection for a lot of the nations. So it was a, a really tough one. And, you know, this one here is uh, similar. And we've actually got our, our next world champs in, in February in Florida. So... No, all three, I'm, I'm pretty sure, are going to be um, you know, really tough and, and everyone's pushing uh, really hard. So that's something that, for us, you know, we're just going to have to keep pushing on, keep trying to learn and keep trying to get better. That's male World Sailor of the Year, Peter Burling, talking to Barry Guy. The Geraldine Rally driver Hayden Padden wraps up his WRC season this weekend with the Rally of Great Britain in Wales. It's been a dramatic season for Patton, competing in all but one of the rounds and also confirming his future with Hyundai Motorsport for another three years. This week, Patton's thoughts were a bit closer to New Zealand, though, as he took up a role as ambassador for Rally New Zealand. Local organisers hope Patton's involvement will help increase the focus of a return of the New Zealand event to the World Rally Championship calendar. Rally New Zealand was last held as a round of the World Rally Championship in 2012, when the event alternated on their calendar with Australia. The rally was due to return in 2016, but the addition of new events has resulted in this being delayed. Patton told Barry Guy that he's keen to get the rally back here. Yeah, obviously there's uh, a group of people who are working very hard behind the scenes to, to try and get Rally New Zealand back. And, you know, from our side, we, we want to try and do as much as I can while we're here competing on the WRC and, um, you know, just actively talking about it and, and reminding people about it. And, um, you know, obviously all of our intentions is to get it back in the near future and, I don't think we'll give up until I'm So does that mean you sort of talking to people on a, on a casual basis or there, there's some formality about this? From my side, it's really uh, doing things in a less formal way and, and um, you know, just making sure that people don't forget about it. Um, you know, we, we're here actively in the, competing on, on all the rallies and, and within the community all the time and with every opportunity we get, we'll, we'll, we'll keep discussing it and, and in the formal side of it and, and um, the, the application side and, and the ins and outs of how it could all work. That's obviously uh, down to the organisers back home. I suppose to make sure that people don't forget New Zealand is uh, perhaps with you, seeing you 
and New Zealand in the headlines, perhaps, on the circuit. That, that would help. Oh, definitely. Um, you know, we, we want to keep doing the best that we can um, for ourselves and for the team, and, and I think, you know, the, the roll-on effect for that is that it, it could be good for the potential rally in New Zealand. Um, it helps increase the profile of sport at home. Uh, helps create a lot more interest and, and hopefully helps to, you know, to, to do that last little push that it really needs to, to make it more appealing to the FIA and the promoters and essentially that they're the two people that, you know, we're trying to sell the rally to. Uh, they're the people that have to make decisions because everybody else within the paddock, within the media, the competitors, the spectators, uh, you know, everyone else wants Rally New Zealand back. It's a matter of convincing the powers that be. If we can just look back at the year, how would you rate it? Oh, it's certainly been very good, I think. Um, highs and lows. Obviously, the first part of the year was very tough. And then since we got back to Europe, things have gone very well with the, the podium in Sardinia, um, several top five finishes, and, and obviously securing a, a long-term contract, which is uh, which was the main objective of the year. So, yeah, we, we've achieved everything we wanted to this year. Uh, but at the same time, once you get one podium like we did in Sardinia, yeah, you dip your, your feet in the water, you, you want more, and, uh, you know, it would have been nice to maybe hit another podium by now, but we've got to keep working forward and with eyes towards 2016 with a new car, I think we can certainly be on the podium a lot more often. Yeah, I, I sort of imagine that you're, you're looking forward to next year because 2015, you, you've really had a bit of everything. You know, there was the uncertainty. You know, you're always battling for your future. Uh, there were rallies that you were competing in for the first time or, you know, for uh, a, a long time. Um and, uh, you, you know, there were the tarmac ones that you're still trying to get used to, that you seem to have whole lots of new sort of things uh, and different things thrown at you. Yeah, and, you know, we have to be patient in this game. It's, it's a huge experience sport, this one. You've got to keep doing the events year on, year out. And of all the drivers in the championship, we're probably still the least experienced uh, in, in, the, in the world rally car. So, yeah, next year we have another year under our belts. Uh, we, we've got some good uh, knowledge and experience from this year, and, you know, we know that we can be competitive now, so yeah, we can we can certainly go into 16 with a lot more confidence and, and start trying to, you know, convert some of the potential and, and some of the good stage times and split times into uh, actually good results. For 2016, you feel that perhaps you can just go for it a bit more? Yeah, well, uh, we're not sure who will be scoring points for the team yet. Uh, obviously, there's three of us drivers uh, on all the rallies, but only two will score on each round, um, but... Regardless, you know, the matter is that you always want to be as fast as you can. Um, and, you know, we've said it that we want to target some rally victories next year. And I believe with the new car and with the experience we've gained this year that we can try and um, be in a position to do that. That's World Rally Championship driver Hayden Pannon talking to Barry Guy. And that brings us to the end of Extra Time for another week. Remember, if you wish to contact us, you can email us at sport at radionz.co.nz. And you can also follow us on Twitter at RNZ Sport. On behalf of the Extra Time team, I'm Stephen Hewson. Bye for now. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.